BDNG podcast. My name is Tina McKenzie and I am the Education Development Lead for the BDNG. I hope you enjoy listening to the BDNG podcast and find them beneficial to your practice. These podcasts are sponsored by Amaral. Amaral has no influence over the content of these podcasts. Happy listening! Hello and welcome to We're at Harrogate, it's the BDNG podcast. My name is Emmanuel and I'm an ACP in Dermatology and I'm joined here by my colleague Ashton Clary. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ashton and I'm a clinical nurse specialist in Dermatology. And today we're going to be talking about skin of colour with Dr Donna Thompson, who is a consultant dermatologist at Birmingham Skin Centre. Thank you for joining us today, Donna. Would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you became interested in skin of colour in particular? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I'm Donna Thompson. I'm, uh, as you mentioned, a consultant dermatologist in Birmingham. And um, I also was president of the Dowling Club, which is a, um, a body that actually of dermatologists that travel the world to different countries and visit different departments. So this is our 75th year, so we've been to many different countries. I've been on about 15 overseas trips. And it's one of the places where you get to see lots of different um, skin types and skin conditions in lots of different skin types. And I may add that in a few weeks, I'll actually be taking the Dowling Club to Jamaica to meet with the Caribbean Dermatology Association and the Jamaican Association of Dermatologists. So I became very interested in skin of colour, well, dermatology in general, because of the wide variety um, that you find in dermatology from paediatrics to geriatrics, from medical dermatology to surgical types of dermatology, histopathology. It's just such a broad specialty. You know, I I do have a subspecialty area where I patch test patients of, of all skin types, but I think dermatology is so broad, it, it's so inviting and so exciting. So um, that's how I got interested in that. And in terms of skin of colour, I myself, I'm of Afro-Caribbean origin. So I'm from the Caribbean. Uh, you might recognise the accent as being from Jamaica. And so again, that um, has partially um, got me interested in seeing skin of colour in the UK, where you, know, you have a lower percentage of Afro-Caribbean or Uh, other type skin types and we can go into that um, uh, in a bit but it's just nice to actually have uh, a place or be able to share um, conditions in skin of colour in dermatology um, now so I'm, I'm quite pleased that it's a focus of dermatology at present. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's something that's really been pulled into the spotlight the past kind of particularly two, three years. And it's really great to see people like the BAD actually engaging and helping to kind of build even a picture database and things like that, just to make people aware. Because sometimes I think I take it for a bit of advantage. I work in in London, we have a very diverse population, but some parts of the UK have, you know, predominantly Caucasian with no other ethnicities when they present dermatology departments can be very challenging for the staff to accurately assess their skin. If I could just ask you a, a very basic question, and that what, what gives skin its colour? So um, skin uh, colour is made up of a variety of things. Um, so haemoglobin is one of the things that gives colour. So you have oxyhemoglobin, which gives a bit of red to the colour, deoxyhemoglobin, which gets a bit of blue to the colour, and then you also have exogenous things that give uh, orangey colour, like carotene, um, so exogenous pigments, so beta carotene, which you can get from diet or, or foods that you eat, like carrots and uh, leafy greens. Um, but the main player would be melanin. 
and the melanin gives a brown kind of pigmentation. So all of these together uh, factor into skin color, but melanin usually, and different types of melanin, uh, usually play uh, the major part. Fantastic. Is there kind of any skin type scales? So I'm kind of alluding to the Fitzpatrick that I'm sure you're familiar with. And what are the, the limitations of that? Uh, so yes, the Fitzpatrick is a kind of phototype scale where it categorizes skin types into six uh, different uh, phototypes, usually based on certain skin features, but also based on the response to sun exposure. Um, so as to whether you tan or you burn, uh, you're likely to do that, or whether you always tan but never burn. So ranging from kind of paler skin, which would be type 1, uh, through to type 6 skin. And part of the limitation of, of that, if you can think about the millions of us or billions of us on the planet at the minute, you know, you, you really don't just have six skin types if you if you actually think about it. And with the Fitzpatrick um, categorization or, or, or phototype, um, three of those are dedicated to Caucasian skin and three are dedicated to skin of colour. And if you think of skin of colour, um, there are going to be lots uh, of, of, of a lot more variety. So you, you could imagine that each of those, um, you know, be it brown skin or black skin or olive skin, would then have subcategories to that. So there is some limitation to it, but, um, but it, it is still, you know, kind of a useful tool to work with um, to give people an idea if you're talking about type 6 skin or type 1 skin and they can easily get a picture in their mind. And if we're... Say specifically saying, uh, if we're specifically talking about eczema, for example, if someone has very severe eczema, we would automatically think about the erythema. In order to prevent any kind of misdiagnosis, what sort of things should nurses be looking out for in order to define severity correctly, so to not underrepresent the severity of the eczema in patients with skin of colour? So that's an excellent question because we do use certain types of scoring to identify how patients are doing to assess patients and and one of those is the easy score which actually looks at the severity of eczema so the area as well as the severity of eczema and part of the severity of eczema in the easy score is based on redness or erythema and a lot of times in skin of color you may not see that erythema so the presentation may be different. So you need to take that into consideration if you're actually documenting an easy score for a patient, especially with the darker skin types, five, type six, where you may not be seeing erythema. So in paler skin, certainly uh, phototypes one to three, you may see that redness and it's, it's quite easy. But as you get to type fives and six, you may see evidence of inflammation. So you may see the swelling, you may see the edema, but it may not look red at all. So it may be normal skin color, but just slightly raised. Or in eczema, you may have more of a purple or even a grayish um, pigmentation or color when you actually look at it as it becomes more chronic, more lichenified. I completely agree with that. And I think um, from my own practice, I, I also, you know, if I haven't met the patient before, um, I would ask them to show me what their normal skin color looks like, because often you know, as you as you alluded to there, it can be um, darker where it's very inflamed and angry. And if you're new in the dermatology world, you might not realize that this is, you know, inflamed eczema, that this is this is not normal for them. So 
Yes, I'd agree with that. And I think in terms of the question you asked about eczema, you can extend that to psoriasis. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. you know, even yeah. ascend, uh, assessing with the PASI score, similar to the EASY score, that also takes into consideration a redness component or erythema component. So you want to make sure that you're adjusting for that. And equally, you may not see the redness. What you may see are changes on the skin in keeping with inflammation, but just not really that much redness. And do you find that when, uh, particularly with darker skin tones, that you, you rely a bit more on what the patient tells you uh, about their skin than, say, with, with someone that's pale and you can, we, we keep talking about erythema and it, it's, it's um, sometimes more stark. So do you find that you use the patient's voice a lot more when assessing skin of colour to help understand their skin? I think that is what you do need to do. So, so that's an excellent way to approach things. Uh, um, Normally, I, I generally say to people, when with any patient that you have, you want to have the history, so what the patient is telling you. You want to, usually you get a referral letter, so somebody else has also told you something. So you want to use that information as well. You want to use your eyes in examination. What are you seeing on the patient's skin? What is different? But also they can show you what's different. And then nowadays, everybody has a mobile phone with, that can take photos. Yeah. So yeah. oftentimes they have these photos, you know, a backlog of photos that they can show you what it used to look like, what it looks like now and this kind of stuff. So all of those are helpful in terms of um, getting to the bottom of the diagnosis. But, you know, kind of accepting what the patient says you know, this is what my skin normally looks like. They may have a patch somewhere and they can show you that patch of skin, what it normally looks like and where the difference is. So you can then compare. And usually in dermatology, I quite like most of the time with the body, you have two of most things. You know, you have two hands, you have two feet. Compare. So comparison is great if you can use their own body. Of course, if it's a total body involvement, then you want to you know, more rely on that history, rely on those photos, rely on the evidence that you've gained from the referral letter and kind of put everything together with your examination to try and, you know, kind of make that diagnosis and move forward uh, from there with treatment. And are there any kind of tools that, that, that are available perhaps online for people that are, that are coming into contact with skin of colour and trying to assess it that they could use to help educate themselves to better uh, assess that skin that you're aware of? So they are, I mean, the British Association of Dermatologists is actually, does actually now have a uh, diverse skin diversity subcommittee and they are working on collecting things, a library of photos, which actually will have a whole range of skin types. So looking at a, one condition in type 1, type 2, type 3, you know, through to type 6 skin so that you can actually see what it might look like in one versus the other skin type. So images, I think, will be great. Lots of photographs kind of looking um, at these for comparison. Um, you also have various websites such as Dermnet NZ, which has a collection of images and even a list of conditions that might be uh, more prominent in skin of colour. Um, so that's a very useful resource or a useful tool. But I think definitely having an atlas of, you know, dermatological conditions in various skin types which is what um, the subcommittee is trying to do is um, an excellent tool. And is there a way that people nurses seeing these patients are able to submit pictures to that subcommittee that you're aware of? Um, I'm sure there is but I, I don't know the exact details of that but certainly I think if inquiries are made you know 
uh, to the BED asking about the you know kind of skin diversity subcommittee and how to actually submit to to this atlas then um, somebody will come back with some useful information and I think the only thing I would add really is regards to treatments. So a part of actually wanting to know the differences and so on um, is also looking at the treatment. So making sure that um, patients are diagnosed early so you can implement the appropriate treatment, but also knowing when to stop the appropriate treatments. Because um, sometimes with skin of color, you will have post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and it's not active disease, but pigmentation that has remained. And you don't necessarily want people to continue to treat that after everything has settled down. So I, I think bearing in mind that you may have everything settled down, but some change in pigmentation. And even the patient themselves sometimes don't realize that they need to stop treatment at that point, um, you know, and let things settle down or fade with time. So it's just all those areas of awareness, raising awareness in that regard. So how would a, a nurse looking at a patient, are there any kind of flags to them that would say this is just hypo or hyperpigmentation post-inflammatory as opposed to active inflammation? What would be kind of the, the flags? Would it be flatter or perhaps less inflamed or would it be a feeling? Yeah, so less inflamed. And I think all of those factors will, will you know, come into play. So it, it oftentimes will be flatter, it will be less lichenified and rough, so it will be more like normal skin, mm -hmm. but just a, just a change in the colour. So you, you're recognising that there's less activity, um, but there is that hyperpigmentation that remained. So all of those factors would come into play, and the patient would have been less symptomatic, so you would have less itching, so it's not really itchy anymore, it's not sore anymore. All of those factors would have resolved, and what you're actually looking at is more of a colour change, which doesn't necessarily need treatment, in particular with things like topical steroids, where a lot of people are worried that the skin can become thinner if you keep applying a topical steroid to a dark patch, um, that's not active. You don't need to be applying it. And then you end up with more problems um, in terms of skin atrophy or changes to the skin. Yeah, I think that's, re that's a really useful um, uh, take-home message there. But I uh, just wanted a quick question. Are there any other conditions which are more common in skin of colour? Um, so I would say yes. So there are some that readily spring to mind mm -hmm. where a presentation might be different. So if you think about... Um, in Caucasian skin, sometimes you have uh, changes on the skin where lots of benign um, skin changes happen. One of those is something we call seborrheic keratosis, which in darker skin types, you usually don't see that similar change. Mm -hmm. But what you see is something that we call dermatosis papulosa nigra. And they tend to be much smaller, oftentimes on the face or the neck, um, uh, certain celebrities like Morgan Freeman has a lot yes. of them. And, you know, and that is kind of the version of a seborrheic keratotis that you'd see in a Caucasian or white patient. Um, and that then would be the dermatosis papillosa nigra that you see in a black patient. Yeah. Other things are response to injury. So if you injure the skin sometimes, um, you can get healing with keloids. So, um, and that's a lot more common in patients of, of colour. And so you can get that thickening and, and over proliferation of the fibroblasts as you heal, which is slightly different from just a thickened or hypertrophic scar. So keloids are very common. 
Um, and as it relates to that, something called acne keloidalis nuki, which you can find at the back of the neck. If people with, you know, kind of uh, dark skin, Afro-Caribbean hair, um, shave very close to the skin, then you can get uh, things like that. So there are lots of conditions that will be more prone in, in skin of color. And then you have the conditions that generally will affect everyone, but the presentation is slightly different. So in acne, in dark skins, you may be left again with that post-inflammatory change. And it's just knowing when to actually stop the active treatment and, um, you know, change track. And I think um, that your, your point on acne there comes back to, to experience and to this, ho- hopefully, this atlas of, of images which we will have um, going forward. And final one last question, what would be your take-home messages for the dermatology nurses listening to this episode? Uh, so my uh, first take-home message would really be to um, try and see as many, um, kind of get experience, see as many um, patients with different skin types as you can. Uh, and look at the same condition in different skin types, be it in physical patients who walk through the door or, you know, kind of online or wherever you can actually see these images. So if you're doing a presentation, a talk or listening to something, think about how it might look in different skin types. Look it up, see whether or not you can see the differences in the features. So that would be my key thing. The second thing I would say is use all the information that you have available to you, the history, as you had pointed out early, ask for photos, how things looked before and how they look after. Um, and, you know, kind of try and tie all of those things in actually making a diagnosis so that we're actually diagnosing patients of colour at an appropriate time. We're not delaying the diagnosis and we can treat them more effectively with better outcomes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I think hopefully the nurses listening to this will take something away. So thank you for your time. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For further information on the BDNG, visit our website bdng.org.uk and watch out for the next BDNG podcast, which is coming soon.